0: Friends, Chris Sotter, lead pastor at Neighborhood Church. We work hard at creating content every week that is life-giving and inspiring for people to live a full life. So we're inviting people who find this stream to be life-giving and encouraging to consider becoming a sustaining member at Neighborhood Church. That could be a one-time gift or to subscribe monthly. And you can do that at neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Thank you, friends, and enjoy the message all right friends so I practice this message Couple 13, 14 times. It's right around like a half hour. Or so, um, <clears throat> but I really believe in it. So um, I hope that you can stick with us. And I want to say also just a special thank you to all our friends who are um, watching for the very first time, or you are new. Um, I've gotten a couple of um, DMs and uh, emails from people who have stumbled upon our stream, and so you are welcome here. Thank you for thank you for joining us. If you have not listened to the last couple um, messages. Um, I introduced um, our, what do you call it, like our theme. We have a theme every year, and it's like the big idea, and we're doing it for this big idea for like the next several months. It's all about having an evolving faith that we have a God who has infinite levels of knowing and infinite levels of unknowing. And it's not to get to this the, this point or this place of certainty than where we can camp out and say, hey, I've, I've arrived, right? Now i can just go play... GoldenEye for the next two years, right? It's, it's all about this journey of, of knowing and, and finding out and, and moving towards this um, good and beautiful God. So last week I talked specifically about this thing called order, disorder, reorder um, in the two halves of life. And I'm going to be kind of, might be mentioning that. So if you're not listening, you can go back um, and find all our podcasts on our website, or if you're in Facebook, you can watch our, um, our videos. Uh, but our big idea is this. I had a colleague at one point in my life who had a great metaphor and they called it um, brushing things under the rug. When you're a kid and your parents are like, you gotta sleep the kitchen, Chris, right? And I hated doing it because when you have like smaller hands and, and you haven't figured out how to like hold the broom and the pan at the same time and get down and you scoop it up, you'd only get like a third of it. Then you have to scoot it back and I just didn't have patience for it, right? So, if you had a rug, which we did not, you could just lift up the rug and sweep things right underneath it and you're good. And that works for the, the first couple times because no one can tell until like you put like a pork chop underneath there or maybe you throw like uh, some apple cores on, uh, under there <laughs> or maybe some frozen corn. I love frozen. corn. My wife loves frozen corn. <laughs> not to eat. I like to eat it not. Frozen. <laughs> so so I'm making a shirt that Mickey says, uh, some, corn on it. <laughs> uh, some frozen corn would be good right now. Um, what am I talking about? Oh, all right. But if you keep sweeping things under the rug, you're going to like, it's, you're going to see some bumps and you're going to have a, a choice. You might smell some things. You have a choice. Either you're going to remain in that ignorance, because ignorance is bliss, or you might have to pull back the rug and deal with those things. And this is a good metaphor for life because uh, maybe in your younger years, there's things that you saw, things that you experienced things that you did that were traumatic or racist or um assault (laughs) right Uh, and regardless of why or how you did it maybe you just swept it under the rug because your body or your brain was not ready to process it yet maybe you had the privilege of not having to deal with it um and maybe something happens of where you can now see it in the rug you see that bump and maybe you say, "I don't want to do with it," and so it just gets bigger and bigger until you maybe you start tripping over it, and it demands your attention. We're talking about the bumps in the rug. I thought, "Hey, Nikki, do you know that it's cold outside?" So uh, I that since it's so so cold, why not tackle some incredibly heavy <laughs> theological bumps in the rug that so many people in their disorder hit? And I thought, instead of like just bumping, what if we just like collectively put this idea or this value on this table? Right? And we could all look at it, we could all approach it and not have to say, everyone come to my side of the table and my chair and my perspective, this is the only correct way of seeing it, this is the common language, here's our policy, here's our dogma, no, 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 no. What if we take this big idea, this value, this question, and we, we're gonna come at that table at that idea based on our own trauma, based on our own experience, our own family systems, Maybe what was handed down to us theologically or spiritually, economically. What access to books or ideas, diverse voices, right? We're going to come at, the idea isn't to come to certainty and common language. It's to come and, and view it and see it and process it and find out and take away what do we believe to be true. But everyone still can be at the table. So today, the question we're talking about has been a question that has been around for thousands of years. And it's this. I was at a funeral and it was for a, um, uh, a, a like an older child. It was a child, regardless. It was a child. And it was a lot of people showed up to um, be in solidarity and support and love for the family. And of course, they are a mess. That's you, you should be a mess. Pastor gets up, and um, and it was not just. anyone's watching. It was not at the church that I used to work at. Just to be fair, right? Um, it was a different church, and they, um, the pastor got up and started talking and had a, a good um, you googly, right? He was a great Ugoogleyzer. <laughs> he was doing a great eulogy. And um, right near the beginning, he said, and it's so tragic that God needed another angel. So God took that boy, he took your son, because he needed an angel. And who are we to be so selfish, to deny God? Because God needed that angel. And I looked around, Because I have a brain, and I looked around, and it looked, I shouldn't say that. That's so judgmental of me. I apologize. I looked around and saw it worked for some people. Some people found life in that, right? Some people found life in in that statement. And I was the exact opposite. I am a peacemaker. I am committed to nonviolence, and I wanted to go and uh, do do something that I knew I shouldn't do, right? What I want to do is go up to the mother and just say, don't listen to him. Don't don't listen to him. Of God needing an angel? Just think about that. If that's true, then we have this, this God that is so selfish, it's so in need of, I need another angel. And what angel, of, of who can I get? It's this innocent young boy. And I demand it. Now I will take it. And I'll strip that kid from your arms because I need it more than you. So when we say that we have this all-loving God, you might think, hmm. So why? Why would someone say that? I could tell you why. Right? And maybe you felt something similar. You can when we don't have answers to deep complex questions, sometimes we want to say something simple so we can check it off uh, that 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 thought or that stress or that pain or the uncertainty or all the depth of feelings of why would a kid die? And if there's a god who's all-knowing and all-powerful, how could this happen? Right? That doesn't preach well during a funeral. So what can you say to get around that pain, to get around that, that, those tears, to get around that anger? God wanted an angel. Because you know who that works for? The pastor. You know who that works for? People who didn't know that kid very well. Because we we're all like, how could this happen? What do I say? What do I write in the card? What, when we go through the greeting line, what am I going to say, right? And this is why we say, hey, if you need anything, Everyone says that. Why? Because we want to be helpful, but we don't know how. So we put all the responsibility on the person who's grieving, who's hurting, saying, no, you reach out to me if you need something because we don't know what to do. So when you say God needs an angel is a quick way to get around all that pain. That leads that mom, leads those friends, leave those siblings, leave that dad with this idea of God took my kid. God killed my kid. That question has been around since the beginning of anyone talking about God, right? Of It's called the problem of evil. The problem of evil. Because we have statements. Maybe you don't use the word of God need an angel, but maybe you've used this word before. You got the promotion. You, you prayed for a promotion. You prayed... Um, for someone who is ill or sick and they get healed or they get well, right? Or uh, you pray for a friend, you pray and you find someone who inspires you. you. You get into that program, you get access to that information, whatever it might be. You're going to say, yes, like God is in control. Why? Because we say God's in control when positive things and good things happen to us. But what about when not good things happen? Is God still in control? That's the problem of evil. If we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, all three of those things can't really exist at the same time. Because if we have a God who's in control, okay, was God in control um, when you got bullied in junior high? For like two or three years, those same three people mocking you, hitting you, making your life miserable? Like, did God will that to happen? Or did God passively sit back and allow it to happen? Can God stop it? And if God could, why didn't God? Right? And the obvious one is what about genocide? Okay? What about um, COVID being racist? Right? That's evil. <laughs> right? I, just, I mean, they heard about this. So like, COVID's not racist. Right? It's not like COVID's like, let's get out of this white suburban area and let's go over here. All these people of color. No, COVID's not racist. Our healthcare system can be. Why do more people of color uh, being impacted by COVID, you know, disproportionately more than white people? Well, our system, right? Like as a white per- person, people can hear me. They can believe me. They, they know more of my story. They can. So that's evil. That's a system of evil, right? A problem of evil. What about mudslides? Why can th- this town where people live and there's mudslides and hundreds of people die? What about the forest fires that took the lives of people? Did God enact that to happen? Was that because some woman ate an apple while standing next to a talking snake? Is that why? Right? What about cancer? What about violence? What about sexism? What about patriarchy? Like, there's, I mean, how far, what about, what about school lunch debt? Right? School lunch debt. Like, we get a text every month. We owe $11. (laughs) <laughs> like ah, we gotta do it, and when Nikki and I are like, hey, hey, did you hear? You hear, eleven dollars, right? But th- that is there's an actual thing of people who owe hundreds and hundreds of dollars because the school keeps charging them for money that they don't have, right? There's all these systems. There's all these um, acts of God. There's all these atrocious, horrible things. And what are we supposed to do with it? Like, this single question has led people into the wilderness in a positive way, and I would guess all of it belongs, right? It's led people off this well-worn path of just keep your head down and don't, don't engage in those serious questions. And honestly, the kind of people we want to be since we're talking about evolving faith, this is one that can move you from this cute little ordered world into disorder, especially if you have been the victim of evil, especially if you have witnessed it especially if you still feel it in your body, in your mind. And that bump in the rug is not just some pork chop, right? It is a face. It is a person. It is a system. Maybe it's even a God. So what are we supposed to do? Like, how okay, Chris, that's great. How are you going to land this plane? Luckily for us, right, this problem of evil, the same question comes up in the Bible over and over and over and over again, Right? You have to remember what the Bible is is 66 books written by hundreds of people that has been edited and adapted and changed hundreds and thousands of times from oral tradition to put down, and written somewhere, pulled, collected, written over different continents over 1,500 years to what? To give us a nice, easy answer of how to answer the problem of evil. All right, Chris, let me break it down to you in two points. No, 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 no. The Bible is messy, complicated, human, and it's beautiful. And it's the point is towards the divine, to move and become Jesus-looking people, to move in wisdom and love, always. And this question comes up in um, the book of uh, Job, or as my dad, when he was a high school teacher, um, called it the book of Job. Before someone correct him, the book of Job, right? Now, here's a statement that I say probably every three or four months, right? Um, I don't always take the Bible literally, right? I don't. Like when um, Elijah or Elisha, there's much teenagers mocking him for being bald. And then he ordered bears to come down and eat them, right? Doesn't mean that I believe that when my kids tease me of being bald, that I'm looking for some bear to run out of somewhere, right? It's biblical, biblical, kids. Those bears are coming for you. I don't always take it literally, but I always take it seriously. Always. Not only have I like invested my faith into the sacred writings and the sacred scripture, right? I've invested my well-being and also the ability to like honestly like feed my kids, to provide food on the table is dependent on how I not just read this Bible, but how I talk about it, how I invite people into it. I take it incredibly, incredibly seriously, seriously. It's life-giving. I've never loved the Bible more. I love it, but I don't always take it literally because I think it's dangerous when you walk into the Bible and you just take everything literally, especially in the story of Job, which you'll find out. So I just want to I believe Job is, is Job is a part of the wisdom literature and the way they set up the Bible, right? This is with Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and it's supposed to elicit this deep wisdom. They ask these big questions, not to give us perfect, cute little answers, but like even more questions to our questions. Right? Because that's what wisdom does, it moves you. So here, I'm going to give you the headline versions of Job, right? I'm going to give you way too quick. If you've not read it, I highly encourage you to read it. The poetry in it is moving and inspiring. And the questions that Job's um, friends ask are probably ones that either you've told your friends or your friends have told you. So... Um, uh, here, here's the story of Job, God is at some sort of conference, almost alludes that there is other deities there, right? They kind of set the table for this. And of course, at this table, there is, or at this 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 meeting is, um, Satan is really, I you're supposed to say, it. you're welcome, right? Satan, to not weird everyone out, is at this table. And Satan approaches God. Satan approaches God. And nowhere do they allude that this is the Satan's like, oh, I'm the devil, burn everyone, you can't beat the devil, right? Like Satan means um, deceiver, right? Means like, I'm going to move the lines. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to expose some things that may or not be true, but different from what you were before, right? That's what Satan does. And Satan approaches God in this back room at this table and says, hey, there's this guy named Job that you find to be righteous, you find to be good. Hey, what if you just like let, give me access, allow me? You know, I got a couple things up my sleeve, right? Of uh, what I can do, I might be able to persuade him, right? And God says, no, he's righteous, and Satan's like, no, I think I can I think I expose that maybe he's not this uh, perfect person that you think he is, and God goes, no, yes, I, will, I, I believe in Job, that he is a righteous man, and so I will give you access, Satan, right? To do whatever you want, you, you just can't take his life. So let's, let's just pause there. Right here, if you take this literally, then there is a God, our God, who's in some back room with, the, with Satan and making handshake deals of, hey, you can actively go. And what does Satan do to Job? Kills his family, gives him boils, <laughs> right? Kills his livestock, his wealth, takes everything away from him, right? That means there's a God up there who's making handshake deals with Satan about the lives of the people I love and a God. Is that is that the purpose of, of, of Job? Was the author writing that? Or was the author telling us a bigger story, like a parable that Jesus did? To take a bigger, a bigger story, to ask bigger questions, to be able to insert ourselves into this story so we can move in wisdom. That's what I hold on to believe. And so all these horrible things happen. To job and what what Satan is getting at right I wrote this down it's called something the retribution principle this was alive and well in the area of the in the era the area and era of when job was written right because there is not just the Hebrew people but there's all these other people who have their way of viewing the divine and, and God and how the gods work and retribution principle was that um, if you do good things to God if you do the right things then God's will give you good things. Right, so if there's wealth or health or prosperity, or you get to live in Chubb Lake, clearly the gods have favor in you, right? But the opposite is true as well. If you have, if you do sinful things, if you go against the way of gods, um, or God, then bad things are going to happen to you. So then you could take the truth to be: anytime you see suffering, anytime you see um, um, sickness, uh, anytime you see poverty, clearly you did something wrong. Clearly, the gods are against you. So we see this in the Gospels where um, someone goes up to this guy. I can't remember if he's paralyzed or blind. I apologize, right? And they say, what did your parents do? What kind of sin do they have where it's leading you to have this illness, to have this sickness? Right? Like, this is not very uncommon to today. Why is this happening to me? Right? I, what, God, what did I do wrong? How do I fix this? And Satan is trying to expose that this is who Job is. The only reason that Job is worshiping God is because God is giving him or God is giving Job good things. So as long as I keep playing this system, I'll only worship God to get more things, pretty much to feed my ego, to make sure I'm okay. So when all the bad things start happening, Job's friends start saying, What did you do, Job? Look what happened to your family. You have boils on you. What did you do? God is causing this. And Job, because he is a man of integrity, continually says, no, my God would not do this to me. And they even get to the point of they're saying, fine, but just confess, just repent. Why? Because then you can get back on this righteousness gravy chain where you might get more of those things back. You'll get your wealth. You'll get the people you love. You'll get your reputation back. Just go and do it. And Job says, no. It comes this culmination in um, chap- chapter 28 and Job 12 and verse 20, where Job asks the question, where can wisdom be found then? Right? All my friends are saying these things. How do I know where I find this deep, sacred wisdom? And God answers me. And there's, it's so beautiful. It's almost set up like a trial in three different acts. It's, it's so good. And eventually God says this at the end. God says, all wisdom can be found in me. It's like, you you want to know why all these things happen? You want to know what's going on? He goes, first, what you need to know. All of wisdom is in and of and through me. So then Job says, then why? Why did all these bad things happen to my family? Why this evil? Why these horrible, atrocious things? And God pretty much remains silent. Almost as if implying, it's like it's not your job to know which is kind of like lands pretty much where we started. So what is the big takeaway? What are we supposed to do with this? Why Why God needed an angel? That's why this happened, right? Here's here, here's the big takeaway from Job. The first thing is, right, is we might not always know the why, but is the purpose of our existence, the purpose of what we're doing is to find out the why? I would say no. But what are we supposed to do is that even in the hellish experiences in life, even when there's evil, even when there's cancer, even when there's violence, even when there is oppression, we could find this wisdom in this God and who is God. Now this is critically important. How you view God matters, friends. How you view God matters shows how you show up. This shapes your perception of reality of what is real about God. Here's what we know about God. God is love. God is love. And not just like this warm little fuzzy, but the fullness of love. And God, if God is love, then God cannot do anything outside of God itself. Can't do anything that is unloving. So when I see evil things happening in this world, I might not be able to answer why it happened, but I can tell you who it wasn't. It is never the person of Christ. It is never God's heart to bring violence or racism or sexism or patriarchy or oppression or poverty, right? Right? We don't have to have the answers. We want the answers. You know why we want the answers? You know why we want a God that is in control? Because then we can take our personal responsibility and put it on the shelf. We can sit back and say, well, why is there mudslides that are causing these people? Why is there force fires that are causing damage and and um and death? We can say, well, God's in control. I guess he's got, they got something going on, instead of us saying, well, maybe it's because the way that we treat the earth is causing and perpetuating to this system that's bringing evil. Well. God's in control, so I don't have to do anything about it. Right? Why is, are, are, are these things that are with COVID and the healthcare system disproportionately impacting people of color? He's, well, God, God's in control. Instead of us using our platforms, using our resources, using our voices, showing... Can you, can you see that? We have, once we find this wisdom and this deep, deep love... Then it's not just why. It's then we show up. I in my job, I've honestly I've had the, the, the sacred opportunity to be with people in hellish experiences, horrible things, things I would never wish upon anyone. And when I'm every time. Every time I'm walking into that living room, I'm walking in that hospital room, my brain is trying to think of an answer. It's like, okay, they're going to ask this question of why would God allow this to happen? Why did this have to happen? In my mind, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this, and then I'm just, I have to like, just shut it down and go back to where's all wisdom found? It is in this good God, and it was not God that made your husband sick. Well, what are we supposed to do? We sit here and we cry. We sit in silence for three hours because we don't know what to do. And they don't say, God is in control. So let me, let me give you quickly, I'm going to wrap this up. Then what are some ways then? If, if, if our job isn't to always find out the why, then how can we view this God? If I believe that God, um, that God is all-loving, that's what I hold on to. The, all, the all-powerful, all, I, I don't need to hold on to that because I'm going to hold on to this all-loving. Let me give you a couple different ways then, theologically or philosophically, how we can approach God. Because some people, they hear this and they're like, then I'm out. If we don't know why, and there's this God who passively sits by and lets the mudslides or the racism or sexism or the murder of kids go by, then I'm out. That's a crazy evil God, and I don't blame them. Now we'll blame them for a second. So how do I reconcile that? I'm going to give you two, really three different options. First one is this. There's a guy named um, Greg Boyd who is a mentor to me. He's a pastor at Woodland Hills. Um, in Minneapolis. Now, if you ran into him, you said, hey, I met one of your uh, mentees, Chris Sauter. He couldn't point me out in the lineup, right? But I, is it creepy that I watch it? He's in a speed metal band and I watch on YouTube. I've read most of his books and I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. He is what we call an open theist. And uh, open theist means this, is that um, God is, of course, all loving. That's through all these, that's the core. But God is all knowing, but in a different way. That um, God would know all the possibilities, all the consequences for the decisions I make in my life. So I'm presented with uh, something in my life, and if I respond in forgiveness, I respond in racism, I respond in ignorance or passivity, or I respond with violence. God would know all the outcomes, but God wouldn't know which one I chose. Because if a God is loving, a God never manipulates, and a God never controls, and a God never forces. Right? So all the possibilities, but God's knowledge is still limited, because doesn't know what I'm going to do. That's called free will. The opposite end of this would be Calvinism, and Calvinism has some ama- some beautiful people and some amazing conversations. But essentially, what they would, what they would say is that before even time existed, God predetermined, predestined people to go to heaven and people to go to hell. Right. And they would say, well, Chris, you don't know, so you're going to respond to the gospel. You're going to respond in taking care of the poor. You're going to respond to loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, true, but still there was a God at one point who said, you get to go to heaven and you suffer, you know, for all of eternity. That's not a loving God. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I, I don't see it that way. A God never controls, never manipulates. What does a God always do? Right? What does love always do? And we see in the person of Jesus. Always always, always includes, always restores, always redeems, always empowers, right? Always liberates through food, through health care, right? Through validating. And when I say always includes. Jesus invited people. When he'd show up and teach on the kingdom of God, the people who already were aware of the need responded. And the people who were the oppressors, the people who liked the system because they benefited from the system, they killed Jesus for it. But Jesus still invited. Jesus still included, right? So another way of looking at it then, and this is one, it's called process theology or process um, philosophy. And this is something that's been around for a long time. I just discovered it. And words and things I've been thinking of, they had language for. And essentially, you've heard me say this, that, um, that God is in all things. That's pan-etheism. Um, that God is in all things. If that's true, then everything's connected. If everything's connected, we all belong. That in all of creation, in the universe, in stars, in quantum physics, all of it, right? The basic building blocks of human existence, the divine is in that. And so if God is never going to force, God's never going to manipulate, God's never going to control, because that's what love doesn't do, right? Then how is God reenacting this kingdom? How is God using to make all things new, to bring liberation in all things? You. God's going to use you. Process theology is if we're in relation with all things, then God is going into relation, in process, with me, this earth, to bring out this deep love, to bring out this resurrected life, to bring out new life everywhere we go. Because God doesn't need to be in control of all things for love to shine. And we can show up against evil, we can show up against injustice, we can show up against climate care that is destroying Communities, countries, lives, economies. And who is God going to use? You. So this is where I end. I, I brought up so many things. And we're, again, if you are just hopping on, um, our Zoom link, I believe is in the comments. I'm pretty sure that Bree, if you're watching on Facebook, is on there. Or you can find it on our website, neighborhoodchurchmn.org. At about like 5 after 11 is when um, I'll hop on that Zoom call where we can talk, ask questions, and process. But where I end is this. To my friends with the bump in the rug that bump is still there and maybe to that trauma maybe to those questions that you were ashamed about like maybe you got too cute of answers or you got horrible answers like well maybe you shouldn't wear low-cut shirts right maybe you shouldn't have been walking at night or someone said you just gotta, God uses all things to bring to his greater glory. And you're like, but but that was my kid. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're you're carrying with you those words. You're carrying with you that shame, that judgment. You're carrying with you maybe that judgment from God, that you believe that judgment's from God. Or maybe you blamed yourself. Well, what did I do earlier in my life that led this pain to be on my kid? I... For that i'm sorry that is a pain that i cannot rescue you from but you are not alone that i do know that this is a place this is a holy sacred space of where we could take those lies we could take i will not swear on okay? camera <laughs> we can take those things and we could throw we could throw them out And say, because in this place, love lives. In this place, God reigns. And what is God? God has this deep wisdom in this deep, sacred love. And I choose to breathe that in. So you're not alone. You are not alone. Let me pray. So God, we love you. And I thank you that even, even, I didn't give answers to barely anything, But even in the question, even in the process, even in the talking, even the thinking, that you are there, and that is not a threat to your goodness or to our goodness. And I ask, God, that we would continue to be a people that fights for justice. And maybe we have some answers for the injustice, and maybe we, regardless, that we show up in love. We do not sit passively by, We use our brains and our intellect and our theology but we use our bones and our blood and our hands and our money and our social media. We use our cars, we use our casseroles, we use our art, we use our tables, we use the, the music, we use all of it to include, all of it to push back against the evil and say, you are not welcome here because we choose you, we choose wisdom, we choose love. And I pray for my friends who are suffering. I pray for my friends who are the victims of this trauma. They are victims of this evil in their bodies, in their families, or in their mind. I ask God that you will use us to bring life to those people. We love you. Amen. Wow, that was a lot. I am so thankful that we get to be a place where we can talk and maybe we have more questions than answers. And that's not a bad thing. Thank you, friends, for being part of Neighborhood Church. Again, you can find all the information and love to have you on that Zoom call in about five minutes. Have a great weekend.